Good morning at 6 o'clock. I'm Scott Monick in downtown London. It's mainly cloudy. We are sitting at 3 degrees. Ontario could face a shortage of key medical supplies if the COVID-19 pandemic causes a massive wave of hospitalizations. We'll have details coming up. But first, let's check in with the Lexus of London Traffic Centre and say good morning to Nick Van Overloop. No issues to report on roads or intersections inside the city. Outside of the city, if you're traveling the 400 series highways, the 401, 402 to Sarnia and 403 to Brantford and Hamilton are all looking good. As always, if you see a trouble spot, call us hands-free at 519-931-6098. And now from the Bentley Hearing Services Weather Center, here's John Wilson. The big pinwheel of low pressure parked over eastern Canada, it's hard to move it. In fact, it's just spinning around. Now the question is, when do we get some clearing here on the back end of it? Hopefully uh, tomorrow, but today I don't expect much. Mostly cloudy, perhaps a break or two. There's a chance of an evening shower, high of 7 and 0 tonight. Then tomorrow and Thursday, I'm calling mostly sunny with cloudy periods, though. 10 degrees tomorrow and 11 Thursday, provided we get enough sun. Friday looks fine, sunny and 12. Today's high 7. Right now in downtown London, we are sitting at 3 degrees. For weeks now, the Ontario government has said when it comes to slowing the spread of COVID-19... Nothing is off the table. Well, as Global's Darren Bolin explains, that next step has now been taken. Effective immediately, the province is ordering the closure of all public, private, shared and communal outdoor amenities. The list includes everything from playgrounds, sports fields, off-leash dog parks, beaches, as well as community and condo parks and gardens. While provincial parks are closed, trails, ravines and conservation areas that aren't closed off will stay open for walking. Premier Doug Ford says the decision follows advice from provincial health officials. The more we can reduce the spread of this virus, the quicker we can get uh, through this. Those who fail to follow the rules could face hefty fines. The order is part of the provincial government's extension of the declaration of emergency, which will now be in effect until April 13th. Darren Boland, Global News. Meantime, Doug Ford says Ontario could face a shortage of key medical supplies if the COVID-19 pandemic causes a massive wave of hospitalizations in the next couple of weeks. He says the government is working to make sure more masks and other protective equipment are available for frontline workers. The province's top public health officer is now urging anyone over the age of 70 to stay home except for essential trips. Meantime, the London Health Sciences Centre maintains its guidelines are appropriate after a group of nurses reportedly refused to work over a mass shortage amid the coronavirus pandemic. The London Free Press reports nine nurses at the London Regional Care Centre at Victoria Hospital, one nurse at University Hospital and a nurse working at the COVID-19 Assessment Centre in the city's east end filed work refusals late last week. A Central Ontario Health Unit says nine residents of a nursing home in Bob Cajun have died from COVID-19. The Halliburton Kawartha Pine Ridge District Health Unit says the outbreak at the Pinecrest Nursing Home has also sickened 24 staff members as of yesterday. The outbreak at Pinecrest represents the largest in the province. Ontario has recorded 33 total deaths from the virus and more than 1,700 active cases. Deputy Mayor Jesse Helmer says the city's new dedicated COVID-19 tip line drew hundreds of responses over the weekend. The tip line was created in partnership with the Middlesex London Health Unit and London Police as a way for residents to report cases of people violating self-isolation rules, non-essential businesses continuing to operate, or other coronavirus-related concerns. Helmer appeared on London Live with Mike Stubbs. That's certainly the email address, um, which is covidorderconcerns at london.ca. Uh, That was pretty busy over the weekend. I think it's over 600 emails uh, so far. 
Elmer says before the tip line, people were tying up 911 or contacting the bylaw department for concerns that should be directed to the health unit. Canada's national air carrier is set to lay off 16,500 workers starting this week due to the COVID-19 pandemic and its economic impact on airlines. Starting Friday, Air Canada says 15,200 unionized workers and 1,300 managers will be furloughed through April and May. Well, as the novel coronavirus spreads, services like Meals on Wheels are becoming more in demand and having to adapt to keep the vulnerable population they serve safe. 980 CFPL Sawyer Bogdan has more. London Meals on Wheels tells 980 CFPL that due to the number of calls they've received in the last week, they're not able to do any more orders for hot meals, but say frozen options are still available. Volunteer driver Paul Connor says both the volunteers and the organization are taking every precaution to keep people safe. A lot of our clients are the most vulnerable folks, you know, older folks, and uh, so we have to take a lot of extra care. Drivers are being told to leave people's meals at their doors and then step away and wait to make sure someone picks it up instead of handing it to them directly. Sawyer Bogdan, 980 CFPL. Time now for sports, powered by Hanford's Tire and Service. The site of the U.S. Open Tennis Tournament in New York is going to be used for 350 temporary hospital beds and to prepare food packages during the coronavirus pandemic. New York state and city officials are trying to increase hospital capacity by up to 87,000 beds to handle the outbreak. Time now for a market minute and from the eWorkplace Business Center, here is Rob Westgate. Asian markets are mixed this morning with Japan's Nikkei finishing down 167 points at 18,917. Ahead of closing, the Hang Seng in Hong Kong is up 297 points. Air Canada will temporarily lay off more than 15,000 unionized workers beginning this week. They'll also start slashing flights in fallout from the COVID-19 pandemic. As for the loonie, it's trading overseas this morning at 70.45 cents U.S. News time is 6.06. Coming up next, The Morning Show with Devin Peacock right here on Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Good morning and welcome to another edition of The Morning Show with Devin Peacock on Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Happy Tuesday, everyone. Hope your day is going along nicely. Mostly cloudy today, high 7, chance of isolated showers tonight, partly cloudy, high as 0 tonight as well. Uh, Looks like the rest of the week uh, could be getting into double digits, high at 10 tomorrow, high 11 on Thursday, high 12 possible on Friday, according to uh, John Wilson, as you just heard in that Bentley Hearing uh, Services uh, weather forecast, really depends on how much sun we get if we get that warm, but it'll be nice to get out into your backyard. But that's it. As you heard in the uh, news with Scott Monica off the top, uh, there are more closures that have been announced by the uh, provincial government. We'll get into a bit more of that uh, next segment, but a lot of different park areas, playgrounds had already been uh, closed in many different municipalities, uh, certainly already in London for a while now. Uh, But more areas are closing outdoors for people as we're just seeing uh, more and more people still going outside. It's it's understandable. You know, we got up to 18 degrees on Sunday. It was really nice outside. Uh, I mean, it rained a little bit on Sunday morning, but still a nice day on Sunday. 
you want to get outside, you're cooped up, I get it, but we just cannot be uh, in too large of a crowds around. So uh, we may see even uh, more measures taken. Premier Ford was hinting at that yesterday, but we'll uh, dive into some of that uh, next segment. Uh, interesting uh, times in London. We had six new cases in London. Middlesex yesterday announced for coronavirus. The uh, Covent Garden market is uh, going to be reopening tomorrow, April 1st. It is not a joke. Uh, they've uh, been shut down for a little while now because of uh, COVID-19, of course. And we will see how this goes. Not everyone appears to be uh, thrilled by this. You know, the market is a place where you can get food, obviously. And so it would fit into the category of, uh, you know, a grocery store. But um, not everyone, uh, from what I'm seeing online, uh, too thrilled with this decision. Uh, apparently, only the King Street entrance will be uh, opened to pedestrian traffic. They moved all uh, seating from inside uh, the uh, the market and some of the food court areas. It is the first time this this time that the uh, it has been closed due to the uh, pandemic. This is the first time the market has been closed due to a pandemic in its 175 year history. The uh, health unit uh, is apparently going to be uh, paying close attention to the uh, Covent Garden market. So we shall see uh, Craig Needles on his program in about uh, three hours is going to be talking uh, to a vendor who has some thoughts on this. So keep uh, tuned to 980 CFPL for that. Also looks like we have more financial relief coming for those in the city impacted by COVID-19. A city committee is going to look at uh, a concept for financial relief for taxis, food, and personal services. This is uh, something that has come together from uh, Ward uh, 3 Councillor mostly and Ward 6 Councillor Phil Squire. Uh, they are recommending City Hall defer payment of licensing fees related to food, personal services, and taxis for three months. Both essential and non-essential businesses would qualify for this deferral. That'll be discussed at City Hall a little bit later on today. Also, interesting story that developed uh, yesterday. You heard, again, an update at the uh, top of the hour with uh, Scott Monick in terms of uh, some uh, nurses who last week were refusing to work uh, because of a lack of safety equipment at the hospital. The LHSC uh, now says... Its priority um, is well, always has been for safety for patients, staff, and physicians. There were some uh, nurses who were worried about the lack of personal protective equipment. This all went to review of the Ministry of Labor and the Ministry of Labor. A statement from the hospital reads, uh, in part, the Ministry of Labor was engaged as per usual process and found that the LHSC's process and policies to follow the Ministry of Health guidelines are appropriate it is you know scary times though to be a doctor or a nurse uh, working in uh, nursing homes we saw the story out of Halliburton yesterday just how serious it is getting there where we have had over the course of all of the all of this pandemic nine residents at a single nursing home in Bob Cajun have passed away from covid-19 the outbreak at that nursing home in particular represents the largest in the uh, province. 
To date in Ontario, we have had 33 deaths from COVID-19. So almost a third of the deaths we have seen in Ontario have come from that one location. There is no shortage of people who seek to uh, try to get by on these types of uh, situations. There have been a lot of uh, stories that have been in the news about uh, people trying to scam others because of uh, the coronavirus. Story uh, Global News had yesterday out of Brampton. A guy was charged, and uh, I'm glad he was, because he falsely told his employer that a family member had tested positive for COVID-19. He did this to get out of work. He worked at uh, uh, McDonald's, I believe it was. The business had to shut down because of this. So he not only impacted um, everyone he worked with, but people who would go to that uh, business as well. No family member was exposed or sick. There was also a uh, employee at a McDonald's in Hamilton who was charged with mischief and fraud after allegedly forging a doctor's note saying he had tested positive for COVID-19 as well. And there's uh, someone in Simcoe has stolen a dog. Not the biggest news story, I admit, but at a time when we're all self-isolating, can we just not steal each other's pets right now? So this came in Simcoe. A bull mastiff cross was stolen on Friday. If you uh, have anyone in Simcoe who knows anyone and think about that, uh, call OPP because let's not be stealing people's dogs while we're all self-isolated. Can we at least do that? We'll take a break. When we come back, we'll have more of The Morning Show with Devin Peacock and Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Good morning. Good morning. This is The Morning Show with Devin Peacock on Global News Radio 980 CFPL. On Monday in Virginia, the governor issued a stay-at-home order to all residents that is due to last until June 10th. June 10th. June 10th. They're the latest state to issue a stay-at-home order, and it seems like Ontario is destined to get one of its own. It has, uh, hasn't been ordered yet, so it's impossible to say how long it could be. I'm just inferring here, to be clear. Uh, Premier Doug Ford warned yesterday, though, that any surge in COVID-19 cases over the next two weeks could leave the province's medical supply lines seriously challenged. Uh, let's hear that clip. It's easy to turn on the TV and think what's happening in Europe can't happen here, but it can happen anywhere. Our story in Ontario can be different than Italy's and Spain's, but only if we all take this seriously. He uh, talked about uh, seeing packed streets over the weekend due to the nice weather, something he called unacceptable. Ford says Ontario must look to lessons learned from other countries which have fought the virus and not repeat their mistakes. The reality is, if there's a massive surge of people coming into our hospitals in the next two weeks, our supply lines will be seriously challenged. So every week, every day, every hour we can push back that surge is another week, another day, another hour that we have to prepare. And clearly I sent the wrong clips to the wrong uh, set. Those are backwards, but (laughs) 
That's on your old friend Devo there. Uh, uh, Ford is uh, saying the province is prepared to take additional action to halt the spread of the virus in the coming days, but he didn't provide any further specifics. So I'm just inferring that we could be looking at a stay-at-home order at some point in the future. We are inching uh, towards that a little bit more. The uh, province's top public health officer is now urging anyone over the age of 70 to stay home unless you have to go out for an essential trip. The Ontario government has ordered the shutdown of all outdoor recreation amenities in the province as part of its response to this pandemic. So uh, this is part of the extension to the uh, declaration of emergency, which was extended Uh, by the Premier yesterday. That now goes until April 13th. So the following public and private shared and communal amenities that are ordered closed include playgrounds, sports fields, basketball and tennis courts, off-leash dog parks, beaches, skateboard and BMX parks, picnic areas, community gardens, park shelters, outdoor exercise equipment, condo parks and gardens, and other recreational amenities. Uh, So far, um, conservation areas, we were talking to Steve Souter from the Upper Thames River Conservation Authority uh, yesterday. Parks, trails, and ravines in conservation areas not currently closed off are open to walk around for now. But provincial parks and conservation authorities continue to say uh, closed under the order. But as we heard with uh, Steve Souter yesterday, if too many people violate the uh, social distancing guidelines, they could also be closed. So let's not uh, let's not uh, ruin this for everyone here, people. Also, should be noted under the emergency declaration, fines can be laid for those who disobey provincial orders. Ontario reported another 351 cases of uh, COVID-19 yesterday. Uh, That's the single largest uh, increase we've seen for any one day in this province. We had six in London, Middlesex. It's not the first time we've had six reported in London, Middlesex. We also had uh, 10 more deaths uh, from COVID-19 on Monday. So we're now up to a total of 33. Uh, The six new cases in uh, Middlesex, uh, London involved three men in their 20s, one woman in her 20s, a man in his 40s, and a woman in her 90s. So you're looking at... uh, Four people in their 20s, four of the six people in their 20s with COVID-19. Everyone is self-isolated except for the woman in her 20s and the woman in her 90s. Both are in hospital. We now have 37 total cases in London and Middlesex. Over uh, 7,400 cases uh, countrywide. Quebec has the most in the country at 3,400. Ontario has 1,700. BC has 970. So Ontario, Quebec, the only two provinces with over 1,000 cases. We're almost up to 1,000 cases resolved, which is uh, some good news. We are going to talk about the performance of uh, Doug Ford as Premier later in the show with political consultant uh, Jason Leder. Uh, But Ford has been winning praise left and right for the job he's done. There is a story circulating online right now. It has been confirmed by his press staff about Premier Ford driving out to Markham on Sunday to pick up medical supplies that were being donated to the province. So uh, the post-millennial is reporting this. Uh, They are reporting that Ford personally drove his pickup truck to a uh, warehouse Sunday afternoon to pick up 90,000 masks the company was going to donate. So the company is called Dental Brands. 
Uh, they are located in Markham, obviously. They texted the premier, said they were donating the masks. He got the text, text immediately drove out there and picked them up himself in his uh, pickup truck and took them to a location in Toronto where they could be distributed. The company took a picture of Ford loading the masks in his truck. And this is the kind of thing that is going to stick with people for a long time. It's a story unlike we've seen among politicians in this country for a long time. Doug Ford has received uh, criticism uh, for his decision to, uh, to tell people weeks ago that to enjoy their uh, March break. You know who didn't criticize him at that time, though? Kathleen Wynne. The former premier defended him, saying she thought he was doing what he thought was best at that time to help the province. And since then, Ford has been listening to experts. He's been an effective messenger. I think you got to give him credit for the job he's doing. Full stop. I realize this is a guy who was booed last year when the Toronto Raptors won the NBA championship. But um, he's been putting partisanship aside. For this, I think you got to put partisanship aside and view the job he's done the past month. He has risen to the challenge. Uh, like it or not, uh, Doug Ford is starting to find his groove as premier, and we will see if it sticks. But uh, he has done quite the job so far. We will discuss that more in depth next hour with uh, Jason Leader, president of Enterprise Canada and political consultant. Uh, he is uh, someone I've had on uh, programs in the past when I've been hosting, and he is a um, a uh, interesting and uh, seasoned political voice that I think is worthy uh, adding to the conversation. For now, though, we'll stop for news. Coming up, more of the morning show with Devin Peacock on Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Good morning. Good morning at 6.30. I'm Scott Monick in downtown London. It's cloudy. We are sitting at three degrees. Nine residents of a nursing home in Bob Cajun have died from COVID-19. We'll have details coming up. But first, let's check in with the Lexus of London Traffic Centre and Nick Van Overloop. Just some very light traffic volume on main and side roads in the city. No problems to report on the major highways through the city, west to Sarnia and east to Brantford. As always, if you see a traffic tie-up or collision, call us hands-free in the newsroom at 519-931-6098. And now from the Bentley Hearing Services Weather Centre, here's John Wilson. Seven degrees today is all we get on a cloudy sky with a chance of an evening shower. Hopefully a couple of breaks in that cloud cover, but it's a large pool of cloud just spinning around. And whether it breaks up or not is uh, a mug's game to try and predict sometimes in the spring. However, tomorrow I'm going to go for it. Mostly sunny, cloudy periods in 10, mostly sunny Thursday in 11, and sunny in 12 Friday. And we're going to have to get that sun to get those kind of temperatures. Today's high 7. Right now in downtown London, we are sitting at 3 degrees. In an effort to slow the spread of COVID-19, the Ontario government is ordering the immediate closure of all public and private outdoor amenities. Global's Darren Bolin has more. Ontario Premier Doug Ford has been saying it for weeks. Everything's on the table right now. Ab absolutely everything. Late evening Monday, the province issued a new emergency order shuttering everything from playgrounds, beaches, off-leash dog parks, along with both community and condo parks and gardens. While the gates of provincial parks will stay closed, trails, ravines and parks will stay open for walking for the time being. For those who choose to disobey the law, hefty fines could follow. The order comes alongside the two-week extension of the province's state of emergency, which will now be in effect until April 13th. Remaining optimistic, though, Premier Ford said he believes Ontarians can overcome the odds. We will get through this. 
Uh, it's just a matter of time. Darren Boland, Global News. Ontario's biggest COVID-19 outbreak is hitting Pinecrest Nursing Home in Bob Cajun. Nine deaths have occurred among residents there. Another person in the community has died in a case linked to the facility. The Halliburton Kawartha Pine Ridge District Health Unit says at least 24 staff members are infected with another 10 awaiting test results. Ontario is dealing with 1,706 cases. 33 people have died. That's the highest death toll in the country. Locally, the health unit reported six new cases on Monday, bringing the total for Middlesex London to 37. Concerns over a shortage of key medical supplies are having a direct impact on London hospitals. London Free Press reports nine nurses at the London Regional Cancer Centre at Victoria Hospital, one nurse at University Hospital, and a nurse working at the COVID-19 Assessment Centre in the city's east end, filed work refusals last week. Now, the union says London Health Sciences Centre is implementing new measures to conserve disposable masks. In a statement to the Free Press, the hospital maintains the Ministry of Labour has found that the LHSE's policies that follow the Ministry of Health guidelines are appropriate. Meantime, Premier Doug Ford admits Ontario could face a shortage of key medical supplies if the COVID-19 pandemic causes a massive wave of hospitalizations in the next couple of weeks. Well, just days after the city launched a dedicated COVID-19 tip line, the city's deputy mayor says they've been inundated with messages. Jesse Helmer says over 600 emails were sent since Friday, while dozens of calls came in on the first day the line was set up. In addition to gathering information that the city can use to potentially crack down on those violating self-isolation mandates, Helmer says the tip line also takes pressure off emergency services, noting that beforehand many people were tying up 911. Time now for sports. Powered by Hanford's Tire and Service, the All England Club Board will hold an emergency meeting tomorrow to discuss the fate of the 2020 Wimbledon Tournament. The French Open has already been postponed from May until September. Time now for a market minute and from the eWorkplace Business Center here. Here's Rob Westgate. Asian markets are mixed this morning with Japan's Nikkei finishing down 167 points at 18,917. Ahead of closing, the Hang Seng in Hong Kong is up 297 points. Air Canada will temporarily lay off more than 15,000 unionized workers beginning this week. They'll also start slashing flights in fallout from the COVID-19 pandemic. As for the loonie, it's trading overseas this morning at 70.45 cents U.S. 980 CFPL News Time is 634. Up next, the morning show with Devin Peacock right here on Global News Radio 980 CFPL. This is the morning show with Devin Peacock on Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Good to have you along with us today. There are many urgent needs uh, right now. You heard in the news with uh, Scott Monick just a moment ago about uh, Premier Doug Ford warning of uh, potential uh, for uh, uh, medical supply uh, issues if uh, things uh, go south in terms of social distancing and everyone not taking uh, these uh, guidelines uh, seriously. Uh, what is probably at the uh, top of the list for urgent needs right now is personal protective equipment for healthcare workers. Uh, they are in short supply, not just in London, but across uh, the country, around the world, really. Amid that shortages have come some positive stories of community members stepping up to help. Last week, it was Fanshawe College donating ventilators to the LHSC. This week brings word of Habitat for Humanity redirecting masks and protective suits to workers in hospitals, labs, and seniors' homes. To talk about this, we're joined by Brian Elliott, the CEO of Habitat for Humanity Heartland Ontario. Brian, appreciate your time this morning. Thank you very much. 
Thank you. Appreciate being on, Devin. So how many masks and protective suits will you be donating? So, so far we've donated over 2,400 masks um, and just shy of 2,000 body suits. So we continue to, as this product becomes available to us from donors and things like that, we will continue to, uh, to put them out to the places with some of the highest needs. You mentioned donors. Are, are these items that you have stored just as a natural course of business or have people reached out to you since uh, we started to see some of these shortages and say we want to help? So we've, we've had these products um, in our warehouse and, and for our use through our build sites and in our restores. Uh, but since that time, we've, we've had donors also drop some protective gear off to us that we've been able to uh, redistribute. So We've had this this product for our own use, but currently we've shut down uh, to help uh, stem the flow of the pandemic. And so we wanted it to be put to the best possible use. At what point, uh, obviously, you know, we've been hearing about some of these urgent needs, but we don't really haven't always known in terms of what exactly is needed and can it be procured by hospitals and do people need to step up the way we're seeing people step up? Uh, when did you start looking to see, okay, let's see if we could do something to help out here? Uh, it was probably two days after we closed down. Uh, we knew we had this product. We started hearing uh, from the radio stations around the needs of the hospitals, but we also heard it from retirement homes. And so we decided at that time that there was no point just having it on our shelf when we can actually put it to good use. These organizations are stepping up and helping us in huge ways. And as an organization that's always thinking families first, uh, they're taking care of lots of families these days. So we wanted to be there to do whatever we could to assist. You uh, you took the words right out of my mouth. I mean, Habitat knows as well as anyone how important it is for the community to pull together during tough times. Absolutely. We're an organization that can't do what we, we do without our community. Uh, our volunteers, our corporate donors, um, just everybody day to day. And so... For us to have a chance to give back just felt like the right thing to do. I gave a general outline of where these masks and uh, protective suits will be going, but do you know specifically where they're going to be going? Um, so we we have different places throughout the um, throughout our region. So uh, we've donated them to Elgin Middlesex Hospital, London Health Sciences, uh, Woodstock General. Um, Stratford, there was two retirement homes up in Listowel. There was a hospital there as well. Um, I know some of the product uh, went to two other nursing homes in London, X-Ray Associates right here in London. As this uh, continues to evolve, is this something you're going to, uh, maybe a conversation you're going to still have with uh, donors to see if there's any other uh, uh, masks or suits or equipment out there that uh, could be procured to help uh, healthcare workers? Absolutely. We're, we're actually working on a donor right now who's uh, talking to us about actually donating backpacks and, and books and, and coloring stuff so that kids have things to do at home. And uh, we're hoping to also uh, be able to distribute that to, to shelters and women's centers. So anything we can do that, that can help, we're there. And what's been great is the community is aware of what we do. And so they're reaching out to us uh, to see what they can 
do to either donate things or assist, and, and we're happy to play whatever role we can, even if it's just redistributing product um, out to these organizations in need. You mentioned earlier uh, Habitat, like uh, many different organizations, has you know wound down operations for a short little while here uh, to try and uh, flatten the curve. What has the impact of the pandemic been on your organization? Well, our restores are our, our biggest source of revenue, and so by shutting down, we, we've turned off our, our revenue stream, and it just means we're having to make some, some decisions you know, later on but we wanted to do what was right for our employees by keeping them safe and by doing right by the community, by not creating another spot for people to gather uh, while we deal with this. This is an unprecedented time and uh, we had to take some unprecedented steps, but we feel it was the right decision for our organization and the right decision for our employees. And, And we know that when we get through this, the community will bounce back and, and support us the way they've always have. Uh, do you have any thought on, you know, because these are tough times for a lot of, uh, you know, uh, uh, people economically. Uh, once this pandemic is over, there might be some people who are going to be uh, in need of help, uh, could be looking to Habitat for Humanity. I mean, many other, as well as many other organizations for help after this. Are you thinking about the possible need that could be coming down the road as well? Absolutely. Um, we know that this is going to change people's lives. Uh, in a way that's not always positive. And so we're working on how quickly can we get a bigger project underway that will help us and allow us to serve more families as we go to the end of 2020 and into 2021. Uh, But also, do we need to look at ways uh, for our organization to help in in ways that we haven't helped before Um, with helping people maybe stay in place or or rental uh, renovation type business to to also assist. So right now we're really looking at our business model to say, how can we have the biggest impact um, and help the community in the best way possible once we move through uh, this pandemic? Brian, I appreciate your time today. Thank you for the donation. It's going to be uh, wonderful for so many people and keep us in mind for any of our future donations. We'll certainly uh, uh, keep in touch. Devin, I appreciate it. And, um, Thank you for having us on and and sharing a good news story. Thanks for getting up early with me today. Thank you very much. Take care. That is uh, Brian Elliott, the CEO of Habitat for Humanity, Heartland, Ontario. We need to pause me come back. More of The Morning Show with Devin Peacock on Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Good morning. This is The Morning Show with Devin Peacock on Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Your Bentley Hearing Services weather forecast courtesy of uh, John Wilson. Mostly cloudy, high 7. Chance of isolated showers uh, tonight. Partly cloudy, high as 0 tonight as well. Wednesday, Thursday, mostly sunny. A few clouds, high 10 Wednesday, high 11 Thursday. High 12 on Friday, possible and sunny. Uh, so it's nice, uh, looking like a nice end of the week to uh, get into your backyard, to get onto your uh, patio, open the window, but uh, not go too far. Let's uh, practice uh, safe and responsible social distancing. It's interesting to compare how we are handling this to other parts of the world. And I just want to make a deal with everyone. Can we just leave the politics out? 
of the pandemic. Because I think we as a city, as a province in the country, are doing a pretty decent job of that. Let's just keep it up. We can do better, though. There was an interesting uh, part of uh, the uh, press conference yesterday for Premier Doug Ford. He was asked a question about the uh, carbon tax from the federal government. And it was basically a free shot to take at the federal government over the carbon tax. And he decided to not take it. Instead, he thanked Prime Minister Justin Trudeau for his pandemic measures. He called Deputy Prime Minister Christia Freeland an absolute champion. And Doug Ford is showing a lot of people that we can be uh, putting the partisanship aside. I think pretty much across the spectrum, there have been a, a few exceptions for politicians, but across the spectrum, there have been a lot of politicians who have been uh, pushing the uh, partisanship uh, to a side. There still are moments of it, obviously. It's not going to disappear entirely. But uh, there are some political uh, divisions that are eroding uh, during all of this which is good to see. It isn't as stark as it be has it been in other times, the division. But the split we are seeing politically is uh, certainly less than we would normally at, uh, in this country, and it's very different than what we're seeing in the United States. So on average, uh, Justin Trudeau and his government have received uh, 63% uh, support from the public for their handling of this. This according to some recent surveys uh, by Eco's Research and uh, Angus Reid. Among people who voted liberal in the last election or would vote for the party today, Trudeau and his uh, government stood at 88% approval, which is uh, not unusual to have a lot of support from your own party. What is l- not as usual, 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 excuse me, is the amount of support the federal government is getting from a political opponents. So that support averaged 69% among New Democrats and 45% among uh, Conservatives, 33% among the uh, bloc voters. So the uh, government's support on average is uh, 43% support. The margin between Liberals and Conservatives on this is somewhat wide until you put it into context. So the f- final pre-election poll last October found the Liberals were most likely, were more likely than Conservatives to say they had a favorable opinion of uh, Justin Trudeau by an 81% margin. By comparison, partisanship is a far more significant source of division in the United States. So uh, Donald Trump's approval rating on the pandemic averaged 46% in two recent polls. Among Republicans, he has 83% support. Among Democrats, he has just 17% support. That puts the uh, d- the divide in the United States between Republicans and uh, Democrats at 66%. So in Canada, it's 43%. In the United States, it's 66%. The split we see in the United Kingdom is similar to what we see in Canada as well. So the United States is sort of the outlier here in terms of the partisan divide. in terms of how people view the response by uh, governments. While there is a partisan division in this country, it does not pose the same kind of health risk that it does in the United States. 
So in the United States, there are Republican voters who are much like much more likely to um, play down the seriousness of the pandemic. In Canada, a re, uh, Angus Reid found that conservatives made up a disproportionate number of those who think the COVID-19 threat is overblown. However, polling does show those holding those opinions are making up less and less of the opinion. So changes are happening. Uh, people's opinions are evolving. Overall, uh, Angus Reid found that conservatives are just as likely as liberals to say they're washing their hands more frequently. And they are uh, quite likely to believe that the outbreak poses a serious threat. Conservatives are also more likely than the liberals to say the federal government's measures have not gone far enough. And the widest partisan division in this country is between liberal and bloc voters. And it's the bloc voters who are even more favorable of some of what the liberals are doing than liberal voters, oddly enough. So when compared to our uh, friends in the United States, we are far more of a cohesive unit in terms of moving forward on this. So if Justin Trudeau and Doug Ford can get along, I think we can all get along. 980 CFPL ran a story yesterday about a guy tearing down some caution tape at a playground at Gibbons Park. Other people were there. One person decided to film it. It had We had more than 600 complaints filed with uh, London City Hall over the weekend after they set up their tip line. It is important to report issues and problems that need following up on. And it's especially important not to bog down emergency services with those calls. Let's just take down some of the emotion a notch, though. We're all in this together. I want my summer as much as you do. All of us with birthdays in March, April, and May probably going to be spending them inside. I miss sports, too. I want to go outside, too. I want to act like I did before this all started. Act like you have the virus. Let's buy those doctors and nurses and researchers some time. Act like you have the virus. Make life easier for the grocery store workers and the delivery people bringing us food and supplies and everything else. COVID-19 is worse than the flu. It's killing thousands of people. A 12-year-old girl in Belgium died from it today. It is not stopping. So let's keep up what we've been doing and build on it. We'll stop for news on the other side. More of The Morning Show with Devin Peacock on Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Good morning. Good morning. It's 7 o'clock. I'm Scott Monick in downtown London. It's cloudy. We are sitting at 3 degrees. Premier Doug Ford sounds the alarm over a shortage of key medical supplies. We'll have details coming up, but first, let's check in with the Lexus of London Traffic Centre and Nick Van Overloop. No issues to report on roads or intersections inside the city. Outside of the city, if you're traveling the 400 series highways, the 401, 402 to Sarnia and 403 to Brantford and Hamilton are all looking good. As always, if you see a trouble spot, call us hands-free at 519-931-6098. And now from the Bentley Hearing Services Weather Centre... Here's John Wilson. The big pinwheel of low pressure parked over eastern Canada. It's hard to move it. In fact, it's just spinning around. Now, the question is, when do we get some clearing here on the back end of it? Hopefully uh, tomorrow. But today, I don't expect much. 
Mostly cloudy, perhaps a break or two. There's a chance of an evening shower, high of 7 and 0 tonight. Then tomorrow and Thursday, I'm calling mostly sunny with cloudy periods, though. 10 degrees tomorrow and 11 Thursday, provided we get enough sun. Friday looks fine, sunny and 12. Today's high 7. Right now in downtown London, we are sitting at 3 degrees. Ontario is closing all outdoor recreational amenities because of COVID-19. The province is issuing the order under the Emergency Management and Civil Protection Act to close sports fields and playgrounds effective immediately. It comes as the province reports 351 new infections and 10 new deaths for a total of 33. Nine deaths are now reported in an outbreak at the Pinecrest Nursing Home in Bob Cajun. Locally, the health unit reported six new cases of COVID-19 on Monday, bringing the total for Middlesex, London, to 37. The World Health Organization has said widespread testing is one of the most important tools in tracking the spread of COVID-19. But as Global's Brianna Carnegie tells us, Ontario is falling behind in that regard. Ontario has tested fewer people for COVID-19 on a per capita basis than any other province, according to a Global News analysis. It stands at just over 330 tests per 100,000 residents, trailing well behind Alberta at the lead with over 1,000 tests for the same group. Dr. David Williams is Ontario's Chief Medical Officer of Health. We're all doing our best to ramp up the testing and we share each other's um, challenges because we deal with the same supply sources and other things. Ontario's testing backlog grew to about 11,000 late last week before falling slightly over the weekend. But that number is no longer made public with changes to the government's website announced Monday. Brianna Carnegie, Global News. The London Health Sciences Centre maintains its guidelines are appropriate after a group of nurses reportedly refused to work over a mass shortage amid the coronavirus pandemic. The London Free Press reports nine nurses at the London Regional Cancer Centre at Victoria Hospital, one nurse at University Hospital, and a nurse working at the COVID-19 Assessment Centre in the city's East End filed work refusals last week. Yesterday, Premier Doug Ford sounded the alarm telling reporters Ontario could face a shortage of key medical supplies if the COVID-19 pandemic causes a massive wave of hospitalizations in the next couple of weeks. Meantime, St. Joseph's Healthcare London is following the LHSC's lead and announcing further reductions due to the pandemic. Officials with St. Joseph's Hospital say only urgent and emergency surgeries are proceeding. All elective and semi-urgent surgical cases are being postponed. Well, as the number of COVID-19 cases rises, London Meals on Wheels is seeing a spike in demand amid the pandemic. 980 CFPL Sawyer Bogdan with more. London Meals on Wheels tells 980 CFPL that due to the number of calls they've received in the last week, they're not able to do any more orders for hot meals, but say frozen options are still available. Volunteer driver Paul Connor says both the volunteers and the organization are taking every precaution to keep people safe. A lot of our clients are the most vulnerable folks, you know, older folks, and uh, so we have to take a lot of extra care. Drivers are being told to leave people's meals at their doors and then step away and wait to make sure someone picks it up instead of handing it to them directly. Sawyer Bogdan, 980 CFPL. And the show won't go on, at least for now. London's Grand Theatre has announced it will delay a planned $8 million spring renovation of its lobby spaces and cancel this year's planned high school project production because of the COVID-19 pandemic. Time now for sports. Powered by Hanford's Tire and Service, the CFL is delaying the start of training camps indefinitely as a result of the pandemic. Main training camps had been scheduled to begin on May 17th. Now, the league hasn't made a decision yet about whether to change the start 
of the preseason schedule. Time now for a market minute and from the eWorkplace Business Center, let's check in with Rob Westgate. Asian markets are mixed this morning with Japan's Nikkei finishing down 167 points at 18,917. Ahead of closing, the Hang Seng in Hong Kong is up 297 points. Air Canada will temporarily lay off more than 15,000 unionized workers beginning this week. They'll also start slashing flights in fallout from the COVID-19 pandemic. As for the loonie, it's trading overseas this morning at 70.45 cents U.S. 980 CFL News Time is 7.05. Up next, the morning show with Devin Peacock right here on Global News Radio 980 CFL. We are into the second hour of the program. Thanks for tuning in. This is the morning show with Devin Peacock on Global News Radio 980 CFPL. A reminder to all uh, pet owners out there, especially uh, dog owners, all off-leash dog parks in the province are uh, closed if the one in your area was closed already or was open until recently, it's now closed by provincial order. I mention this because a trend has started to develop during this pandemic that is uh, a little concerning to me. On the one hand, it's nice to see, but there is a concerning element to it. So the trend is animal rescue organizations across Canada are reporting a surge in demand for rescue dogs and cats as Canadians look for company while they're in self-isolation. On the one hand, it makes sense. A pet can make a wonderful friend to bring you joy. Had two dogs when I was growing up in Toronto. My sister or husband have a dog along with their two kids. Dogs are great. The problem is when self-isolation is over and suddenly people aren't home all the time to tend to their pets, what happens then? Uh, Lori Rismay is with ARF Ontario. She joins us now. Appreciate your time today. Thank you very much. Thank you, Devin. Good morning. This can be pretty common even during non-pandemic times. Someone gets a pet, they think it'll be cute until the real work kicks in and then suddenly their opinion of having a pet changes. Is that Do you share my concern in terms of people uh, don't, uh, adopting pets uh, and potentially not really thinking about it what, uh, a year from now? Sure. You know, I think we as, as people in general, we kind of want what we want when we want it. And uh, when we're in isolation, certainly, I mean, suddenly I wanted to have chickens and become a pioneer. And my husband said, you know, it's only been seven days, honey, just calm down. We're not getting chickens yet. (laughs) Eventually, we won't have time for those chickens. So, you know, definitely ARF as a a volunteer group, we had, we recognized very early, actually, that, um, that this virus was was coming at us like a freight train. Uh, and we very quickly started to put safety parameters in place, not only for our adoption program, but also our foster home program and our intake. You know, we work with our Indigenous communities and we get calls from all over the province of animals who are suffering, community members who are asking us for help. Uh, and we had to revise all parts of our programs very quickly. Absolutely, the adoption program was a key, key part of that. I mean, it's great if uh, to see more pets go to a good home and be adopted. I just hope that uh, people do think about this being, you know, a full-time thing, not a uh, just something to keep you occupied for a couple weeks or months. Yeah, you and the kids, right? I mean, the kids that you've gone through all of the Pinterest crafts, et cetera, et cetera, and so this seems like a good time to get a puppy. Um, but as we all know and hope and cross our fingers for, over the next two, three, four months, life 
we'll get back to normal. Uh, and that means we'll all be playing catch up with our jobs, with our extracurricular activities. And this animal who was accustomed to having you around 24-7, um, you've really imprinted, right? You've, you've really set that animal up for a certain expectation and certain behaviors that's entirely on us, on us people, training them to have these expectations. So the, there's a simple fix. I mean, absolutely, the, the, the opposite of, of what I would want to do, right, is, is discourage people from adopting. I'm all about it. Let's adopt. Um, but you just put some things in place to get that animal used to what real life actually is, even though you're around. And, you know, ARF has two amazing um, uh, dog trainers. Classes are have always been mandatory and with our adoptions, and we've had to change that up, of course. And we do video calls now and Skype calls and, and phone consults. Um, but those trainers help you put these things in place with your environment, with your scheduling, so that your dog doesn't develop the anxiety that is sure to set in when you stop spending 24-7 with them after a few weeks. Have you seen people, uh, this this trend we've seen elsewhere, with people coming saying, it's the pandemic, we'd like to get a pet, or, or is that something you've seen or heard about? Oh my gosh. So um, I was very fortunate. I, I had uh, had a chat with, with your Jess Brady on, on 980 uh, fairly recently, and we saw a huge increase in our foster home applications. We have never in 20 years <laughs> had more foster homes, and that is ideal. It's actually making me giddy saying it right now. It's ideal to set families up as a foster home. Because while you're home, this is when you need to spend the most time with these animals adjusting to their new lives and learning that humans can be good and learning that food isn't scarce, et cetera, et cetera. So um, this is a, a temporary solution. And when we get to the end of the foster home uh, time, the animal as well, and we're ready to adopt, that's when we'll have that discussion with our foster homes is this really appropriate to be adopting? What's your environment going to be looking like? What's your schedule going to be looking like? Or should we be putting this animal up for adoption and, and looking for a, an alternate solution for them long term? So I'll tell you, fostering is the way to go. We have seen a huge increase in our applications. I am ecstatic about that. What should people take into consideration if they want to adopt or if they want to foster? Yeah, just I think it's... is. Who is this about? Yes, you have a big heart. That's amazing. Is this about trying to fill some time right now? Or is this about filling that part of your family that has been missing, filling that part of your heart that is looking for a forever friend long term, hopefully for the next 10, 12, 15 years? You know, most of our dogs coming in are uh, are puppies. We have a lot of kittens. My gosh. You know, there's going to be a crazy spike in the kittens with everything going on right now. You know, less access to the to the veterinary care for the rescues. Um, so kitten season is is coming. You just think about, is this for right now? Is this for forever? And we will hook you up either way. We adopt or we foster. Win-win. Lori, I certainly appreciate the time today. Thank you very much. Thank you, Devin. I hope you have a great afternoon. You as well. That is uh, Lori Rismay from ARF. Ontario. We need to pause coming up in moments. We've got an update from the Lexus of London Traffic Centre and the Bentley Hearing Services weather forecast. After that, we'll have more of the morning show with Devin Peacock on Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Good morning.
This is the morning show with Devin Peacock on Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Good to have you along with us for the ride uh, today. The impacts of the COVID-19 pandemic are endless and long-reaching. The longer this goes, the more it encroaches into spring and possibly summer, the more the potential for even more economic disruption, especially for high tourist areas. Think Grand Bend, think Port Stanley. Alan Smith is Elgin County's General Manager of Economic Development and Tourism. He joins us now to talk about this. Appreciate your time this morning. Thank you very much. Uh, good morning. It's great to be here. However, I wish it was under different circumstances, that is for sure. Likewise. How concerned are you about the potential impact of this pandemic? Uh, of course, we are we're all concerned. Um, you know, there's no doubt that COVID-19 will have a significant impact you know, on the tourism se- season and will affect the business community in Port Stanley and, of course, others in Elgin County. But as you know, it's uh, very difficult to determine to what extent uh, that will be. You know, and that is the issue. We just do not know yet. Obviously, it's important to uh, Port Stanley, but how important is tourism uh, to Port Stanley and parts of Elgin County, would you say? Uh, extremely important. Um, a number of businesses in Port Stanley, Port Bruce, Port Burwell, um, Port Glasgow, and um, other areas along the um, Lake Erie really depend on tourism season as their main source of uh, income during this time period. Um, so it's very significant impact. Now, at the county, what we are trying to do is to promote those businesses um, and that will remain open, like restaurants and online services, uh, to our local residents. So we really want to push the buy local campaign, you know, support your local business. Um, our local businesses really need us right now. And so we're trying to point to local residents to support those businesses. You know, it won't be the same as, of course, having a um, peak tourism season. However, we are here to support our local business community in any way we can. Absolutely. I was, I was, that was going to lead to my next question. What can you do to brace for what to come? Or are you sort of at the mercy of the virus? But the buy local, obviously, is a huge factor in that. Well, it is. Um, yes, you know, we are somewhat at the mercy of the virus. However, um, we can help a local business um promote them to our local business community and really push the buy local theme. Uh, now, we do that. Um, we, have, we do have a buy local campaign um, at the county. However, now we have to heighten this and bring more awareness um, you know, to our local residents of what they have in their backyard. Um, you know, I think uh, some people just don't realize some of the great things that they have in the backyard uh, in, with respect to the business community. So, it's up to us to help promote those businesses uh, to our local residents. So buy local is going to be a key factor in, you know, um, getting through this uh, unprecedented time. What would you say is the mood of a lot of businesses right now in Elgin County? How concerned are they? Uh, very concerned. I mean, I've had um, uh, comments from, from wide ranging of industry from you know manufacturing all the way through to our tourism industry and they're all concerned and um especially i think in the tourism industry uh places like port stanley again we have to support them and we will get through this um elgin county was built on hard work entrepreneurism and creativity and we still see these qualities in our business community 
community today. And, you know, we will help them get through this. Uh, they are, we have a very strong business community. Um, I know the communities in business community, Port Stanley, Port Glasgow, and Port Bruce, and Port Burwell. And, you know, I'm confident that they will meet this unprecedented challenge ahead, you know, with determination. Um, they will not quit, and neither will we in supporting their efforts. So uh, it's going to be very difficult times, there's no doubt, but we are here to support them. But we have to be. We are all looking for answers in terms of what this virus might have for us in terms of maybe, hopefully, a bit of a downturn in the summer, allowing for a relaxation of some of these social guidelines. We've seen uh, potentially a return in the fall and winter before there's a uh, ultimately a vaccine for this. Even if we get to the point where some of those guidelines are relaxed and allowing for people to get outside a bit more, support their local businesses, travel a little bit locally and support those businesses, is there a concern that there could be even a decreased number of visitors just because people are just unsure of what to do until there is that vaccine? I think that's always a, always will be a concern. However, we have to um, work with our local businesses to help people overcome their hesitation and also to have businesses prepared to accommodate, which might be the new normal, as in maintaining social distancing or have special, um, you know, change to the facilities that can meet the requirements of today. Uh, so, yes, there will be maybe the hesitation by the public. However, again, uh, we will work with our business community to help the public overcome that and bring back a very strong tourism season eventually to our areas. Well, we here at 90 CFPL are doing uh, what we can to promote uh, local businesses uh, in London. If there's anything we can do to uh, assist uh, Elgin County as well, please uh, uh, keep us in mind. We love to promote uh, local businesses and uh, local uh, companies uh, doing well and and, uh, doing the best they can during this time. Well, I will definitely take you up on the offer. That is appreciated. Alan, I appreciate the time today. We'll uh, talk again. Thank you. Have a good morning. You as well. That is Alan Smith, Elkin County's General Manager of Economic Development and Tourism. Uh, we are here at 90 CFBL doing what we can to uh, promote uh, local businesses, uh, show local businesses. We're working on an interactive map uh, for local businesses, uh, for people can support, similar to maps we've done in the past with Christmas lights and uh, Halloween uh, decorations. That is something. So uh, go to the 90 CFPL uh, website for more information. We are doing this in concert with our brother and sister stations, FM 96, Fresh 103, and uh, Country uh, 104. Um, so uh, check out uh, our website, obviously, but also fm96.com, uh, Country, and Fresh as well for information on all of these businesses. We want to promote local businesses because we are all in this together and local businesses are the backbone of what make this country great and there are a ton of wonderful stories i am seeing you know more of a hashtag for takeout tuesday today is tuesday it may feel like friday but it's actually tuesday considering ordering a takeout it is safe to do you can do that there's uh, articles we have up on globalnews.ca 980cfpl.ca about you know whether you need to sanitize delivery groceries and whatnot a lot of people asking those questions good questions to ask those answers can be found on our website but it's also a, a good time to support our businesses in our communities as much as we can we will pause for news when we come back more of the morning show devin peacock on global news radio 980 cfpl
Good morning. Good morning at 7.30. I'm Scott Monick in downtown London. It's cloudy. We are sitting at three degrees. Ontario is putting in new measures in response to the coronavirus pandemic. We'll have details coming up. But first, let's check in with the Lexus of London Traffic Centre and Nick Van Overloop. Just some very light traffic volume on main and side roads in the city. No problems to report on the major highways through the city, west to Sarnia and east to Brantford. As always, if you see a traffic tie-up or collision, call us hands-free in the newsroom at 519-931-6098. And now from the Bentley Hearing Services Weather Centre, here's John Wilson. Seven degrees today is all we get on a cloudy sky with a chance of an evening shower. Hopefully a couple of breaks in that cloud cover, but it's a large pool of cloud just spinning around. And whether it breaks up or not is uh, uh, Muggs' game to try and predict sometimes in the spring. However, tomorrow I'm going to go for it. Mostly sunny, cloudy periods in 10, mostly sunny Thursday in 11, and sunny in 12 Friday. And we're going to have to get that sun to get those kind of temperatures. Today's high 7. Right now in downtown London, we are sitting at 3 degrees. Ontario is closing all outdoor recreational amenities because of the COVID-19 outbreak. The province is issuing an emergency order under the Emergency Management and Civil Protection Act to close sports fields and playgrounds effective immediately. Premier Doug Ford says the decision was made based on the best medical advice available. The order will be in effect until April 13th. Ontario reported a record surge in COVID-19 cases yesterday at 351, which health officials attribute in part to clearing a backlog of pending test results. As Global's Brandon Carnegie tells us, that pattern is expected to continue. Ontario is producing an average of 2,500 test results each day and is expected to reach a rate of 5,000 tests by early April. Associate Chief Medical Officer of Health Dr. Barbara Yaffe noted yesterday they're almost at that point. The backlog of tests is going down rapidly and we expect that backlog to go down even further over the next couple of days. The province, like others, is facing backlogs over the lack of what's called reagents or chemicals that are needed by labs to complete the tests. The Doug Ford government has purchased additional testing kits from an Ottawa biotech firm, over 900,000 of them, but is awaiting on Health Canada approval. Brianna Carnegie, Global News. The union representing Canada Post employees is asking Canadians to help prevent the spread of COVID-19 and to help keeping close encounters of the canine kind to a minimum. The Canadian Union of Postal Workers says daily washing and disinfecting of letterboxes along with handrails and doorknobs will help keep mail carriers safe. London's Grand Theatre has announced it will delay a planned $8 million spring renovation project and cancel this year's planned high school project because of the COVID-19 pandemic. The Grand's extensive renovations, which were set to begin in early May, will now be pushed back a year until the spring of 2021. Local high schoolers were set to trace the life story of legendary showman P.T. Barnum in a musical that was set to be performed under a big top tent at this year's Western Fair. Time now for sports. Powered by Hanford's Tire and Service, all signs are pointing towards the cancellation of Wimbledon. The All England Club board will hold an emergency meeting tomorrow to discuss the fate of the 2020 tournament. The French Open has already been postponed from May until September. Time now for a Market Minutes and from the eWorkplace Business Centre, here is Rob Westgate. 
Asian markets are mixed this morning with Japan's Nikkei finishing down 167 points at 18,917. Ahead of closing, the Hang Seng in Hong Kong is up 297 points. Air Canada will temporarily lay off more than 15,000 unionized workers beginning this week. They'll also start slashing flights in fallout from the COVID-19 pandemic. As for the loonie, it's trading overseas this morning at 70.45 cents U.S. Coming up next, more of The Morning Show with Devin Peacock on Global News Radio 980 CFPL. This is The Morning Show with Devin Peacock on Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Good to have you along with us this morning. It's been interesting to watch how the COVID-19 pandemic has uh, been handled in Canada, United States. If it wasn't before, it should be now. Any comparisons people make between uh, Doug Ford and Donald Trump are just completely off base. I heard some comparisons before, uh, but not like lately and uh, for good reason. Uh, Doug Ford has been acquitting himself uh, quite well uh, recently and has been drawing praise uh, from all sides of the political uh, spectrum. To talk about this, we are joined by Jason Leader. He is a uh, political consultant and president of Enterprise Canada. Jason, good to talk to you this morning. Uh, good to have you on. Hey, hey, Devin. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it very much. So I think uh, Doug Ford's uh, done a pretty good job on the COVID-19 file. How about you? Yeah, it's the consensus, I think, so far. I mean, not out of the woods yet on the on the medical side, and it's going to be, I think, a couple of tough weeks. But I think, you know, what most people ask for during this kind of a this kind of a crisis is they don't want to be lied to. Uh, you know, they want uh, they want the truth. They want you to sort of acknowledge when things are tough. Um, they want you to sort of roll up your sleeves and and get to work. And they want you know, sort of talk that they can, uh, that they can, uh, that they can understand. So I think, I think, you know, Doug, he had an uneven first year and, uh, and, you know, sort of in the second year, it seems like he was sort of made for this one. You know, it's, you've got that sort of business guy can do approach and, uh, he hasn't gotten too high and too low. So I think a lot of people are looking at it and saying, Man, that was, uh, you know, some people, if you weren't a fan, you probably didn't think he had it in him. And if you were a fan, you're sort of, Glad to see it, I think, for the most part. Are you surprised at how he has performed? Because, I mean, there have been, like, he was asked a question yesterday at a, a news conference about the carbon tax. Uh, didn't uh, talk about it at all. Instead, praised uh, the uh, the, pre, the prime minister and then the deputy prime minister. And it seems like all levels of government have been trying to, to work together and put aside partisanship during this. I think that's what Canadians expect. So I, I, I'm not surprised if your question is I, I, because I, I've known Doug a little longer and, you know, sort of personally and politically. And I will say that I was a little more surprised at, at, at how he was being presented uh, by his group in the first year than, than now. Uh, you know, this this actually is the, the Doug Ford that I've known, which is a pretty compassionate guy who, you know, tries to help and really isn't that you know he's he's combative at times for sure. Uh, you know I, I've all got they've all, he's not perfect. They've all got flaws, but um, but you know for the most part this is this is a version of of, of what he is, and and so I do, I think people do expect you to to pull together, and I've been I've been impressed with the the federal government and Ms. Freeland and Mr. Garneau and a few of their ministers I think have done a really good job too. So I think it really is that's what gives Canada confidence. You look south of the border and you see. 
you know, Mr. Trump sort of uh, all over the place and, you know, battling with Chris, uh, you know, or sorry, uh, you know, Cuomo and uh, Governor Cuomo in, uh, in in New York or other governors in Michigan. And you think, oh, man, I'm glad that's not happening here. And I think that's one of the things that really does is separating us during this. You just got to have every level of government pulling together. And we've got that here in Canada, which I think most people, that gives them some confidence, you know. Indeed, you know, Ford, along with uh, every pretty much every politician across the country, I haven't seen anyone who hasn't, are following the advice of the health officials. It's a very Canadian approach, and we are not seeing that at the federal level anyway in the United States all the time. Yeah, I think it's been hard to watch. Uh, you know, like, the truth is, unclear advice kills people. And we've had, we've had some of that here in, in Canada, where we've changed from one thing to another. You know, one day it's a travel ban is discriminatory. The next day it's, you know, we got to have a travel ban to stop the, but like the truth is, uh, you know, most people have gotten many of the big decisions right here in, in Canada. And, and that includes Mr. Trudeau and the federal government. And, and down in the U S you, you've got, you know, you get, one day you get Trump musing about closing the borders around certain boroughs in New York. Then the next day he's not doing that. And then the next day it's, we're going to have all the churches open by Easter. And then the next day it's, well, we're going to be closed till May 1st. And, and so, yeah, unclear advice actually does kill people, right? Cause you know, people do, they, they hear things and then they, and then they go up and think, Oh, well, this, the, 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 the idea that Donald Trump is talking about one to 200,000 deaths in the U S being a win, which is, you know, per capita, way more than anybody else in the world, uh, is, is just, it's shocking. And, and, and I think it's an indictment on the American system right now. Indeed, I'm glad we do not have that in this country. When we look at, you know, what, you know, uh, some of the appeal of Doug Ford for people who maybe um, not in London or other parts of the province, but for people around Toronto who are a bit more familiar with the Ford, some of the appeal to them has been their everyman approach. There's a story that came out yesterday. It was a pro. It was a. It was a um, confirmed by his uh, his media staff about uh, going to Markham to pick up some medical supplies himself. Got in his truck. Um, there was a picture of that. I mean, that is Doug Ford. That is the appeal of the Fords. Yeah, you know, he threw on some jeans that looked like, you know, he didn't tell his staff, he didn't tell anybody. He got in his truck, picked up the stuff, took it out. He was going to the medical uh, uh, supply warehouse anyway, and he sort of went home, picked up picked up 90,000 masks and dropped 10,000 off with the cops and 90,000 in the, or 100,000 masks, dropped off 90,000 in the warehouse and 10,000 with the cops. And it, it is it is the kind of thing where, you know, it, you can't help but sort of think, not every leader, you know, pulls up in their pickup truck and their jeans uh, without a camera crew in tow and, and, and drops this stuff off. You know, it's, 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 it's pretty cool. And I think um, that is the appeal for Doug. And as I said, he's, he's, he's not perfect, but man, you don't, you don't mind hearing those stories. Uh, And, you know, they had the other one where he, you know, a local Etobicoke firm starts making some hand sanitizer. They, they gave him a call and sort of said, where, where does this go? Well, you know, he shows up and he, he picks them up and, you know, gives them some, gives them some love on, on TV. So anyway, pretty, pretty cool stuff. And I think it does, it breaks the monotony a bit. I don't know if you've been watching his press conferences either, but, um, you know, there's a, there's a certain directness to them that are, I think, I think quite useful for people to watch. Whereas, you know, there's no sort of long flowing words. There's no, you know, unclear answers. It's like, if a problem's raised, it's sort of like, okay, we'll get on that. Uh, it's sort of a, it's a reassuring way to have a leader talk during a crisis. That's for sure. 
The point of opposition parties is to oppose. It's to challenge the ruling government. We should have that present at all levels, obviously. But the, the way that is happening now is different than the past. We know people have been turned off by politics sometimes uh, recently. Could this lead to a new story? maybe a, a slightly different style. I'm not going to be naive and expect everything to change uh, forever after this, but could this lead to a different style, you think, from parties in terms of how they keep governments to account where it doesn't always have to be so uh, theatric? I wish, I wish, Devin. I think most people would uh, would like that. Uh, you know, the politics has been adversarial for our entire lives and for as long as politics has been around, you know, <laughs> ancient Greeks, ancient Rome, whatever. Like, it's, Politics is adversarial, and so I, I don't see it changing long term. I just, I just don't. And 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 it's not because there aren't good people in politics. It's because you know you're sort of uh, you can't that pack mentality of you know let's fight. And uh, sadly, everybody everybody uh, thinks of their own tribe as as good, and everyone thinks of the other tribe as 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 not so good and and that and that really is good at there. So I'd like to, listen, fingers crossed, miracles can happen, <laughs> you know? <laughs> but I don't know, Devin. It's it's uh they I think we're gonna be back to normal at some point and that'll be that our politics will be worse for it. But that's my prediction and I'm sticking to it. Yeah, I'm not putting money down on it. I'm 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 I'll put <laughs> someone else's money down on it, but not my own. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Exactly. Now, listen, it, it, but it has been nice. To, I think I think everybody's, you know, sort of put the knives away over the last uh, couple of weeks. And I, I'll give a shout out to uh, to, to liberal leader uh, Stephen Del Duca here in uh, Ontario as well, newly elected. Uh, uh, I think he's done a good job in terms of proposing a few uh, a few solutions, uh, a few ideas for the government to take rather than criticism, and I think that's been good. And I think I think for the most part, uh, the Conservatives and Mr. Shear in Ottawa have been uh, have been relatively the same. They pushed back pretty hard to them and the NDP and and the Greens on that uh, when the when the Liberals tried to sort of, you know, uh, go a little far in their, in their, in their, in their bill up in Ottawa a week ago. But for the most part, you've got pretty, pretty, uh, pretty good oppositions out there. So I think everyone is pulling together and I think Canadians, yeah, that's, that's one of the main differences we're seeing right now. And I think it is working. Jason, I appreciate the time today. Thank you very much. Thanks, Devin. Appreciate you having me. We'll talk again. That's uh, Jason Thanks. Leader, political consultant and president of Enterprise Canada. We need to pause when we come back. More of the morning show with Devin Peacock on Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Good morning. Welcome back to the program, everyone. Good to have you along with us. This is the morning show with Devin Peacock on Global News Radio 980 CFPL. On the uh, program yesterday, we talked uh, briefly about what, if anything, could be learned uh, from uh, the number of cases we've seen in the United States. Are the numbers there indicative of what we could see here? Uh, what we did not discuss yesterday, but I think is interesting, interesting and worthy of discussion is what this pandemic could do for future planning and spending for healthcare needs. To talk about this, we're joined by Cynthia Carr. She is an epidemiologist and health policy expert at EPI Research and joins us now. Cynthia, appreciate your time today. Thank you very much. Good morning. 
We've seen uh, quite the growth in the United States. And while we've seen an increase in our numbers in this country, we aren't the uh, one-tenth of the numbers we're seeing south of the border. Is there anything we can learn from the number of cases we are seeing in the United States relative uh, to here? I really think it points at the importance of investment in public health and pandemic preparation. So when one of the stated goals of your healthcare system is to control healthcare spending and you do that by shutting down things that don't you can't see immediate uh outcomes such as public health and pandemic planning which is the kind which are the kinds of decisions uh that president trump made in the united states uh you see now what the impact can be when you um shut down those um processes that are of utmost importance but because pandemics don't occur very frequently when a goal is to cut down on spending that can be an obvious target and it's not a good idea as we can see if there is a positive that could come from the pandemic when we look uh for us here uh you know in, in Canada could because of this pandemic being a fresh of mind, whenever this is over, could this lead, you think, to uh, more pandemic planning, more healthcare spending for the next time this comes around? Because it is going to come around again. It is. And spending isn't the answer. And again, if we look at the United States, um, they spend 9% of uh you know, their economy is directed towards health care, about $2 trillion of federal money. It's not about health care. They spend about 10000 U.S. per person compared to Canada, which is under four. And even Italy had higher expenditures per person and more hospital beds per uh, population than Canada. It's not about spending. It's about planning. And it's about understanding the social determinants of health in the population and particular to pandemic planning is understanding potential threats and are there other health threats occurring at the same time that a pandemic could break out. So, for example, in Italy, they have about eight times the cases of influenza than in Canada. They have a high elderly population. The United States also has a high rate of influenza right now. So when something new comes on during a time when there's already a threat to the health system and people's health, uh, this just piles on. And when you don't have a well-thought-out plan, particularly in a, in a massively structured uh, government like the United States, you see the outcome. So it's not the absolute dollars, it's planning and it's public health leadership like we have in Canada with Dr. Tam and our Prime Minister and our leaders working together on the strategy, communicating the same information and not like we're seeing in the States having our President and our Chief Medical Officer fighting in front of the camera. Uh, pandemic planning in Canada moving forward beyond. We have a bit of a base now. We had, you know, SARS 17 years ago. We yeah. learned some lessons from that. We'll learn some lessons from this. What would be central to take from this moving forward? So central to this, again, is in 2018, we updated in Canada uh, the influenza pandemic plan as per the World Health Organization. And at that same time, that's when the United States uh, disbanded their pandemic planning uh, office. So what we've understood from this is the importance of um, 
looking for how do you recognize a pandemic and how do you manage it. Those are the two key aspects within a pandemic plan, and that is why when you quickly recognize and react to what is going on through a well-thought-out plan that has already engaged leaders from all levels of government across Canada, that's where you can see that there's better, better ability to manage it. So even in the United States with the, the confusion about really low testing capacity and then are these lab-confirmed cases versus um, presumptive positive, all of those things should have been ironed out in your management plan a long time ago. You can't develop a pandemic plan in a week or a month. How important is the messaging aspect of this to be uh, positive, not always negative, not to discount or suggest that something isn't serious, but I, I wonder if there's a limit to how much negativity or seriousness people can take without them maybe going inside and blocking out all information that could be relevant to them. I agree with you. And a key aspect of pandemic planning in the preparation phase is your communication plan, and number one is public communication. And then secondly on the list is communication among all those involved. And the reason that public communication is so important is we want to avoid a learned helplessness or fatigue from bad news. And again, when we look at our, our neighbors in the United States, when you see conflict among your leadership, when you hear numbers escalating and it, it starts to feel like they don't seem to know what they're doing, how should we and how does what we're doing matter? So the success in Canada with public health, with Dr. Tam, is you will notice that she says, yes, it's still a very serious situation. And then she moves to what is the government doing and what are you supposed to do? And you're doing it and let's keep doing it. So she's continually actioning. She's continually saying, this is the situation. Here's what we're doing. Here's what you can do. And it's working. And here's why. Cynthia, I really appreciate your time this morning. Thank you very much. Pleasure. Thank you. That is uh, Cynthia Carr, epidemiologist and health policy expert at EPI uh, Research. Uh, in the uh, final hour of the program, we've got lots coming up. We're talking about the City of London's tip line. We'll be talking about online shaming. We'll be talking about a, a good news story for a London business. We'll also be talking about Canada's carbon tax. A lot final hour of the program, all as it relates to coronavirus of the morning show with Devin Peacock on Global. Good morning, it's 8 o'clock. I'm Scott Monick in downtown London. It's cloudy. We are sitting at 3 degrees. Ontario could face a shortage of key medical supplies if the COVID-19 pandemic causes a massive wave of hospitalizations. We'll have more details coming up, but first, we'll check in with the Lexus of London Traffic Centre and Nick Van Overloop for a check on the drive. No issues to report on roads or intersections inside the city. Outside of the city, if you're traveling the 400 series highways, the 401, 402 to Sarnia and 403 to Brantford and Hamilton are all looking good. As always, if you see a trouble spot, call us hands-free at 519-931-6098. And now from the Bentley Hearing Services Weather Centre, here's John Wilson. The big pinwheel of low pressure parked over eastern Canada, it's hard to move it. In fact, it's just spinning around. Now the question is, when do we get some clearing here on the back end of it? 
hopefully uh, tomorrow. But today I don't expect much. Mostly cloudy, perhaps a break or two. There's a chance of an evening shower, high of 7 and 0 tonight. Then tomorrow and Thursday, I'm calling mostly sunny with cloudy periods, though. 10 degrees tomorrow and 11 Thursday, provided we get enough sun. Friday looks fine, sunny and 12. Today's high 7. Right now in downtown London, we are sitting at 3 degrees. For weeks now, the Ontario government has said when it comes to slowing the spread of COVID-19, nothing is off the table. Well, as Global's Darren Bullen explains, that next step has now been taken. Effective immediately, the province is ordering the closure of all public, private, shared and communal outdoor amenities. The list includes everything from playgrounds, sports fields, off-leash dog parks, beaches, as well as community and condo parks and gardens. While provincial parks are closed, trails, ravines and conservation areas that aren't closed off will stay open for walking. Premier Doug Ford says the decision follows advice from provincial health officials. The more we can reduce the spread of this virus, the quicker we can get uh, through this. Those who fail to follow the rules could face hefty fines. The order is part of the provincial government's extension of the declaration of emergency, which will now be in effect until April 13th. Darren Boland, Global News. The London Health Sciences Centre maintains its guidelines are appropriate after a group of nurses reportedly refused to work over a mass shortage amid the coronavirus pandemic. The London Free Press reports nine nurses at the London Regional Cancer Centre at Victoria Hospital, one nurse at University Hospital and a nurse working at the COVID-19 Assessment Centre in the city's east end all filed work refusals, uh, refusals late last week. Habitat for Humanity is stepping up its efforts to help out frontline medical workers during the COVID-19 pandemic. The nonprofit organization's restores have been able to donate over 2,400 masks and just shy of 2,000 protective suits to frontline workers in hospitals, labs and long-term care homes. CEO of Habitat for Humanity of Heartland, Ontario, Brian Elliott, tells 980CFPL they're doing everything they can to help out. We've had this this product for our own use, but currently we've shut down uh, to help uh, stem the flow of the pandemic. And so we wanted it to be put to the best possible use. Yesterday, Premier Doug Ford indicated Ontario could face a shortage of key medical supplies if the COVID-19 pandemic causes a massive wave of hospitalizations in the next two weeks. A central Ontario health unit says nine residents of a nursing home in Bob Cajun have died from COVID-19. The Halliburton, Kawartha, Pine Ridge District Health Unit says the outbreak at a nursing home has also sickened 24 staff members as of yesterday. The outbreak represents the largest in the province. Locally, the health unit reported six new cases of COVID-19 on Monday, bringing the total for Middlesex, London to 37 cases. After yesterday's preview of the federal government's emergency wage subsidy program, Canadians should get a clear picture today. How the program will work and just how much it will cost are expected to be spelled out in a news conference with Finance Minister Bill Morneau. What we already know is that businesses, regardless of size, whose revenues have decreased by at least 30% because of the COVID-19 pandemic, are eligible for the subsidy. Well, as the novel coronavirus spreads, services like Meals on Wheels are becoming more in demand and having to adapt to keep the vulnerable populations they serve safe. 980 CPL Sawyer Bogdan with more. London Meals on Wheels Executive Director Chad Callender tells 980 CFPL two weeks ago they started seeing an influx in people accessing their service. He says the demand was so high that they stopped taking new orders for hot meals but are still offering a frozen meal service. 
because they maybe formerly could felt comfortable going out to grocery stores and getting the items themselves. And now because they're in that vulnerable population, they maybe feel like, you know, Meals on Wheels is a better route for them. Calendar says they also received an overwhelming response from people wanting to volunteer, so they're in the process of trying to contact everyone. Sawyer Bogdan, 980 CFPL. Time now for sports, powered by Hanford's Tire and Service. The CFL is delaying the start of training camps indefinitely as a result of the pandemic. Main training camps had been scheduled to open May 17th. Now, the league hasn't made a decision yet about whether to change the start of the preseason schedule. Time now for a Market Minute. And from the eWorkplace Business Center, here is Rob Westgate. Asian markets are mixed this morning with Japan's Nikkei finishing down 167 points at 18,917. Ahead of closing, the Hang Seng in Hong Kong is up 297 points. Air Canada will temporarily lay off more than 15,000 unionized workers beginning this week. They'll also start slashing flights in fallout from the COVID-19 pandemic. As for the loonie, it's trading overseas this morning at 70.45 cents U.S., Coming up next, more of The Morning Show with Devin Peacock right here on Global News Radio 980 CFPL. We are into the third out of the program. Good morning, everyone. This is The Morning Show with Devin Peacock on Global News Radio 980 CFPL. On Friday, the City of London set up a tip line for Londoners to call or email for COVID-19 related concerns and Londoners took the city up on that offer. Deputy Mayor Jesse Hammer told uh, Mike Stubbs on London Live yesterday the city received over 600 emails the first weekend. That is a heck of a lot of emails. One example of what the city received became a story yesterday when a video shot at Gibbons Park of a man pulling down caution tape around a uh, playground went viral. To talk about the tip line, we are joined by Dave O'Brien, the manager of London's emergency management team. Appreciate your time this morning. Thank you very much. Good morning. 600 emails is quite a lot. Were you expecting that many for the first weekend? Yeah, we knew when we first opened up, there would be a lot of people who had interest in calling in with uh, things as they had observed. So uh, not unusual from our perspective. What happens when a tip is received uh, by the city? So we have uh, multiple agencies that are working with us on this, and depending on the nature of the tip, uh, it's directed over to the appropriate agency. So as an example, if it's related to uh, something bylaw would would deal with, then it goes to our bylaw officers, and then they would follow up with that complaint. How long would it take to go through those uh, 600 tips or complaints? Uh, So depending on the nature of the complaint, they're all assessed in terms of their severity, and we try to deal with the most significant or severe cases uh, as soon as we can. And then as time becomes available, then we will follow up with the other complaints that come in. Uh, Typically, those immediate ones are responded to uh, within the day that they're received. For a situation like the one that happened over the weekend where the caution tape was pulled down, would the person responsible be tracked down and potentially penalized or fined, or would that just be a situation where you put the caution tape up and move along? So if we were able to identify who the individual was, certainly we would want to have a discussion with them. And our whole premise with regard to the program is is educating people around what the, the orders are or what the closures relate to, uh, to try to ensure that they understand clearly what we're trying to do. Of course, in this situation, we are uh, you know very dependent on the public to assist us with all of these things uh, to help keep our community safe. So uh, enforcement is not something we'd, we'd prefer to do. 
Uh, we'd like to educate, uh, give warnings, that type of thing in relation to this. But obviously, if it's severe, or there's non-compliance, then we may move into the enforcement role. And that could involve a fine or something else? It could, yes. What sorts of complaints has the city heard from the public or, or, or tips since this began? Yeah, so we've received uh, somewhere uh, around 600 phone calls and 800 emails. The majority of them are in relation to uh, either people not complying with playground closures uh, or in relation to business closures. Um, very few have been, been in relation to people that uh, aren't quarantining or that sort of thing. So the majority are related to park closures, park equipment closures, uh, and business closures. So uh, based on those numbers, we got even more, I, I imagine, uh, yesterday in terms of uh, um, uh, tips to the the tip line. Correct. From an emergency management point of view, how would you say Londoners are responding to what's happening? You know, I think overall the city uh, and the citizens are doing a, a great job. I think everybody understands the severity of the cir- circumstance that we're in. Uh, right now is a bit of a critical time, as everybody's likely aware. We're starting to see an increase in cases, not only locally, but provincially and across the country. And, and now more than ever, it's it's critically important for everybody to do their part, uh, make sure they're following the guidance of our health officials, uh, following the proper hygiene practices, ensuring we're maintaining that appropriate physical distancing. If if you don't have to go outside, then then maybe don't. Uh, and and do your best to cooperate with all the orders that are in existence to keep not only yourself, your families, but everybody in our community safe. And and one of the real benefits to this tip line, I know, is uh, it diverts uh, some maybe uh, calls or or tips that are going to maybe police or emergency services that aren't really the ones that are supposed to be dealing with uh, those types of complaints. Correct. So we uh, would ask everyone to use 911 if you need to, and those are for emergency circumstances where there's immediate risk to life issues. Uh, If that's not the case, and in particular with regard to these orders, uh, the vast, vast majority of those are not uh, fitting that criteria. Uh, So we would ask you to call our tip line or email us in relation to those matters so we can keep our 911 call volume uh, limited to those emergency situations uh, where there's immediate threat to life issues. Uh, Dave, I certainly appreciate your time today. Thank you very much. Thanks, Devin. That is a Dave O'Brien, manager of the City of London's emergency management team. If you want the email or the phone number, you can go to 980cfpl.ca uh, to get that information and uh, give the city a tip if uh, you feel it's warranted. Certainly they've uh, received about 1,400, as he was saying there, calls and emails since this began on Friday. We'll pause. We come back. More of The Morning Show with Devin Peacock on Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Good morning. Welcome back, everyone. This is The Morning Show with Devin Peacock on Global News Radio 980 CFPL. So here's the thing. There is value to the tip line the City of London has set up. As we were just talking at the end of that interview with uh, Dave O'Brien, if we did not have it, people would be calling uh, London Police. Worse yet, they'd be calling 911. Maybe they're calling someone in the city who doesn't quite deal with it, some other area that doesn't respond to those issues. So it's good to have a central location to uh, deal with those issues in the community so we can rectify them. The tip line has value. 
What is driving me crazy already is uh, the online shaming. We discussed this on the program a bit yesterday, but I'm not looking forward to what the next month is going to bring as people ramp up their shaming online, especially if we see more and more restrictions on where we can go when there's already a lot of restrictions. I can see it already. People are going to get on their high horse online and virtue signal about how great they are and how terrible other people are. How do I know that will happen? Because it always happens. It happens with everything. We need to stop this uh, puffing out of our chest and acting like we're superior. Uh, There's a new poll that suggests that Canadians are uh, doing what they're told when it comes to the fight against COVID-19 and its spread. Of the nearly 1,600 surveyed adults, more than 90% said they were practicing social distancing, keeping at least two meters apart from others, washing their hands more frequently, going out only for necessities, and coughing or sneezing into their elbows. The poll suggests Canadians were broadly satisfied with how federal, provincial, and municipal governments have responded to the pandemic. So, the vast majority of Canadians are doing what they're told. The rest aren't, but maybe they will come around. You know what won't make people come around? Shaming people online. Has someone who was publicly embarrassed ever changed their mind? Online shaming might get someone to stop doing a specific act, but you're not going to change their mind on the whole. You don't know what happens when you stop that act and then they go home and then do something the next day, maybe. We see this with anti-vaxxers or flat earthers or anything we argue about. doesn't have to be something as extravagant or out there as flat earthers. Pick climate change or a carbon tax or even the hotel tax that London put in last year. Anything and everything can create a divide. And if we're going online, calling each other out, trying to one-up each other about how great we are, we aren't solving the problem. We're just creating new ones. Report things if you must. Let's not divert services from where they are truly needed. But don't go online and pretend you're some saint. We've all made decisions that maybe weren't the greatest. And The pandemic is currently bringing a lot of people together. It can bring us together. We're seeing a ton of examples of that already, of people going out of their way to help others. Think of all the volunteers who are working the mental health crisis lines or delivering food with meals on wheels. Think of all the people who have changed how their business operates to stay active to feed their families and their employees' families. How about all the people picking up supplies for their vulnerable neighbors? All the people who aren't making nearly enough as they should to work in grocery stores, to deliver us food, to drive buses, and to keep the world running. Think of all the doctors and nurses working around the clock. All the doctors and nurses who are working without enough protective equipment or even medical equipment. There are doctors in this country who have made the decision to live apart from their family, to rent a place and live alone when they aren't working so they don't infect their own family. So here we are 
complaining about our self-isolation with our Netflix, with our Zoom chats, and our ability to keep in touch virtually. And there are doctors and nurses across the country giving up time with their family. There are one chance to decompress after a hard day at work. Think about that. There is so much good and positive. We're going to have a bunch of keyboard warriors calling people out, thinking they are the cock of the walk just to look good online. Give your head a shake. We do it all the time. All the time. People love to show how wonderful they are when we talk about mental health once a year on uh, Let's Talk Day. For one day, everyone professes to care about mental health. Now, we have had an increase, but people go over the top. And then once the clock strikes midnight, we go back to tearing each other down. So give me a break with the online shaming. I'm tired of it and it hasn't even kicked into full gear. And now I'm getting worked up because I know it's going to happen. I've seen people talking online about how they are going to shame people. Remember the uh, woman who made uh, the insensitive uh, joke? It was, a, it, was a, it was a stupid joke. It was a terrible joke. It was wrong about Africa. This was on a plane flight a few years ago. She turned off her phone because she's flying, her phone because she's flying, did not know the reaction to the tweet that she was getting. She lands, finds out she's lost her job after she went viral. It took her years to get over that, and she may not even be over that to this day. So online shaming has real consequences. So to recap, reporting misdeeds to the city is good. Let's not divert resources, but online shaming is bad. We're better than that. We say we want change. We want to change people's minds, but then we choose these avenues to bring that change that are completely opposite to what our supposed stated goal is. Calling people names, embarrassing people online will not work. It won't work. We see it all the time. And people in the whole anti-vaccination debate back and forth is the prime example. You call someone silly, you call someone stupid, you call someone whatever name you choose, they dig in their heels to what they feel. There was the story the other day of the guy who was tearing down the caution tape. He might stop that that one time, but we don't know what happens tomorrow, the next day, and the day after, and the day after that. All you do is you stop that direct act, not the overall mentality of that person. And we want to bring people to the side of safety so that they, along with the rest of us, are safe. So the online shaming thing is not something we should be promoting. It is against what we say we want. So let's let's not unlunch shame, all right? I will calm down. We will stop for news. And when we come back, we will have a good news story for you. This is The Morning Show with Devin Peacock and Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Good morning. Good morning. It's 8.30. I'm Scott Monick in downtown London. 
It's mainly cloudy. We are sitting at four degrees. Nine residents of a nursing home in Bob Cajun have now died from COVID-19. We'll have more details coming up. But first, we'll check in with the Lexus of London Traffic Center and Nick Van Overloop. Just some very light traffic volume on main and side roads in the city. No problems to report on the major highways through the city, west to Sarnia and east to Brantford. As always, if you see a traffic tie-up or collision, call us hands-free in the newsroom at 519-931-6098. And now from the Bentley Hearing Services Weather Center, here's John Wilson. Seven degrees today is all we get on a cloudy sky with a chance of an evening shower. Hopefully a couple of breaks in that cloud cover, but it's a large pool of cloud just spinning around. And whether it breaks up or not is a mug's game to try and predict sometimes in the spring. However, tomorrow I'm going to go for it. Mostly sunny, cloudy periods in 10, mostly sunny Thursday in 11, and sunny in 12 Friday. And we're going to have to get that sun to get those kind of temperatures. Today's high 7. Right now in downtown London, we are sitting at 4 degrees. In an effort to slow the spread of COVID-19, the Ontario government is ordering the immediate closure of all public and private outdoor amenities. Global's Darren Bolland has more. Ontario Premier Doug Ford has been saying it for weeks. Everything's on the table right now. Absolutely everything. Late evening Monday, the province issued a new emergency order shuttering everything from playgrounds, beaches, off-leash dog parks, along with both community and condo parks and gardens. While the gates of provincial parks will stay closed, trails, ravines and parks will stay open for walking for the time being. For those who choose to disobey the law, hefty fines could follow. The order comes alongside the two-week extension of the province's state of emergency, which will now be in effect until April 13th. Remaining optimistic, though, Premier Ford said he believes Ontarians can overcome the odds. We will get through this. Uh, it's just a matter of time. Darren Boland, Global News. Ontario's biggest COVID-19 outbreak is hitting a nursing home in Bob Cajun. Nine deaths have occurred among residents there. Another person in the community has died in a case linked to the facility. The Halliburton Quartha Pine Ridge District Health Unit says at least 24 staff members are infected with another 10 awaiting test results. Ontario is dealing with 1,700 cases of COVID-19. 33 people have died. That's the highest death toll in the country. Locally, the health unit reported six new cases on Monday, bringing the total for Middlesex London to 37. Concerns over a shortage of key medical supplies are having a direct impact on London hospitals. The London Free Press reports nine nurses at the London Regional Cancer Centre at Victoria Hospital, one nurse at University Hospital, and a nurse working at the COVID-19 Assessment Centre in the city's east end filed work refusals late last week. The union says the London Health Sciences Centre is implementing new measures to conserve disposable masks. In a statement to the Free Press, the hospital maintains the Ministry of Labour has found that the LHSE's policies that follow the Ministry of Health guidelines are appropriate. Meantime, Premier Doug Ford admitting yesterday that Ontario could face a shortage of key medical supplies if the COVID-19 pandemic causes a massive wave of hospitalizations in the next two weeks. Well, just days after the city launched a dedicated COVID-19 tip line, the city's deputy mayor says they've been inundated with messages. Jesse Helmer says over 600 emails were sent since Friday, while dozens of calls came in on the first day the line was set up. Time now for sports, powered by Hanford's Tire and Service. 
It appears Wimbledon will be cancelled. The All England Club Board of uh, Members holding an emergency meeting tomorrow to discuss the fate of the 2020 tournament. The French Open has already been postponed from May to September. Time now for a Market Minute. And from the eWorkplace Business Centre, here is Rob Westgate. Asian markets are mixed this morning with Japan's Nikkei finishing down 167 points at 18,917. Ahead of closing, the Hang Seng in Hong Kong is up 297 points. Air Canada will temporarily lay off more than 15,000 unionized workers beginning this week. They'll also start slashing flights in fallout from the COVID-19 pandemic. As for the loonie, it's trading overseas this morning at 70.45 cents U.S. Coming up next, more of The Morning Show with Devin Peacock on Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Welcome back to The Morning Show with uh, Devin Peacock on Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Good to have you along with us. Our next guest is so nice, we decided to talk to her twice. On yesterday's program, we were talking to Skylar Crook uh, from Drive Up Bakery. Her family owns uh, Bosco and Roxy's uh, Dog Treats, and they have changed their operations to respond to the COVID-19 pandemic. During our discussion, my connection with the radio station fell and I'm broadcasting remotely right now for those unaware uh, during the pandemic. And unfortunately, we had to move on. I did not want that to be the end of our discussion uh, with Skylar. So she joins us again now to talk about uh, her family business. Uh, good to talk to you again. And sorry about the uh, problems yeah, yesterday. No problem. How are you today? I'm doing much better. Everything's crystal clear. So uh, we should be okay for the interview. Um, just to retrace our steps, let's go back to the beginning and just talk about how your family came to that decision to switch from dog treats to bread, uh, muffins, and cookies. Yeah, for sure. Um, so like I said, I wasn't really here in the house for that um, drafting of that idea, but my dad kind of describes it as a bit of an epiphany that occurred around 2 a.m., um, on a Friday night, um, and basically they were sitting in bed kind of trying to figure out how are we going to turn it around, how are we going to make this money that we need to keep these businesses alive, and it kind of just popped in his head and was like, oh my goodness, why aren't we making human food? We have this SQF certified commercial bakery um, sitting idle when we could be using it for um, baking bread and cookies and things that grocery stores are seeming to have issues kind of moving onto the shelves as they fly off so fast. So it just, once the idea was made the next morning, literally 12 hours later, um, we were starting to implement these plans in place and we were right in the bakery already testing out bread recipes for, um, for launch. What has the response been like? It is overwhelming. I mean, the fact that this turned around in about 72 hours, we've had probably five full days of um, full sale and the site active. And we've um, just reached over about 150 orders already. So it's insane. We have, you know, at least 10 to 15 pickups um, in a three-hour window in the morning, another window in the afternoon. The response has been fantastic. We're so happy that the public is participating in, in something that we wanted to give for them and help the community and keep our workers working. And um, we're just overwhelmed. It's really amazing. We went over this yesterday, but for people who may have missed it, how does this a drive-up bakery? So you're trying to have as little contact as possible so everyone can be as safe as possible. That's correct, yes. Um, so, so how... Oh, 
<laughs> so basically, um, you order online and the payment goes through online. Um, what You'll get an email confirmation with an order number. And if you choose you to, to do delivery, um, we have a no contact delivery. We just leave it on your doorstep and we drive away. Um, if you choose the pickup option, um, you come straight to the bakery. Um, there are slots for pickup and you just show your order number through the window if you don't want to roll it down. You pop your trunk, we throw the order in the back and close the trunk and you drive away. You don't even have to talk to us. So it's it's really um, quite seamless, honestly. It's really quick and easy and definitely contact free. It is a good news story on itself. Uh, to make it even better, though, I know you're working with some other businesses from uh, the market at Western Fair, uh, homemade pierogi, the fritter shop, Uncle Dad's Pizza and Meat Pies Plus, right? How did that all come about? Uh, basically, we kind of wanted this site to encompass more than just bread, cookies, and muffins. We wanted to add some a big, fresh market experience to this website that we wanted to pull together. And we um, we did kind of some businesses did contact us directly. Some some of them we contacted them, um, and they were really interested right from the get go. They were like, you know what? If this blows up, we're ready to do it on a big scale. We want to get our word out there. We want to keep running because um, most of these stores, their revenue went straight to zero um, when the non-essential shutdown occurred. So um, they were very eager to get on the bus to kind of um, get their products back on the shelves and give their customers a market fresh experience that the markets um, closed and couldn't really give at this time. How does baking bread compare to uh, doing uh, dog treats? It is a lot more labor intensive. Obviously, the products are a lot more delicious in our, in my opinion. But um, <laughs> yeah, the bread process is similar to baking dog cookies in a sense that um, the mixing and the and the the um, products and products in the flour and things like that. So the eggs were kind of something we had to outsource, but all the flour we already had, um, all the baking soda, all of the like dry ingredients that we already use for our dog treats were already in the bakery. So it wasn't a huge convert to um, bread or human ingredients because all of our ingredients are obviously um, human grade. So it wasn't um, a big change, um, just kind of like those chocolate chips or you know, some of those um, dairy products we don't really carry in the bakery. We had to um, go and outsource from local suppliers. Uh, is this something you might continue to do once this is all over, or do you anticipate going back to uh, doing what Bosco and Roxy's is, is really known for? I think we're always going to go back to what, what we're best at is making dog cookies, but I was having this conversation with my mom earlier. Um, she loves making the human food. She's always loved making the human food. Um, she loves taking home her human food after just for taste testing. And she was like, if, if this does um, gain enough traction and we have enough customers, we could probably bump it down to a once a week. If you want, come get some dog treats for your dog and some food for yourself. That's kind of the idea we want to maybe roll into um, in the future. Um, I think we would be very open to keeping this running if that's um, something the public would, would want to also play with. So if people would like to order or, or get some more information, how can they go about doing that? So you can check out our Instagram and Facebook pages. Our Instagram is Drive Up Bakery. And then our Facebook is also The Drive Up Bakery. Um, our phone number, our address, all of our contact information is there. If you wanted to email us, our email is orders at driveupbakery.com. Um, if you can't get a hold of us through there, I... I don't know how else you would. We've got lots of lots of outlets. We've um, got a no contact kind of. You want to come to the front and just we have an iPad ordering if that's what you desire. If the internet is not really your thing, um, 
again, trying to make it as contact-free as possible. So, uh, so yeah. It is a great story. Uh, Skylar Crook, appreciate your time today. Thank you very much. Thank you. That is uh, Skylar Crook from Bosco and Roxy's Now Drive Up Bakery. And if you or another or you know of another local business that should be highlighted, we want to do that on this uh, radio program and on this radio station. Uh, you can email me at devon at 980cfpl.ca. That's D-E-V-O-N at 980cfpl.ca. You can email our newsroom at news at 980cfpl.ca. You can contact us via our, our Facebook page. You can also call our newsroom, 519-931-6098. Just know we do have a lot of people working from home these days, so contacting us uh, electronically is a great way for us to all be able to respond and promote these stories, which are great for our community. Uh, we need to pause. When we come back, we'll have more of The Morning Show with Devin Peacock on Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Good morning. Welcome back to the program, everyone. This is The Morning Show with Devin Peacock on Global News Radio 980 CFPL. We are living in some precarious economic times. Governments are spending billions of dollars on support for individuals and businesses as hundreds of thousands of people lose their jobs due to COVID-19. As a result, the Canadian Taxpayers Federation is calling for a freeze on carbon taxes and other taxes across the country. Joining us now to talk about this is Aaron Woodrick, the federal director of the Canadian Taxpayers Federation. Appreciate your time today. Thank you very much. Uh, thanks for having me, Devin. Hope you're, you're keeping safe. I, I am. I hope you are as well. I gave a little outline about what you were calling on, but what are you looking for governments to do here? Yeah, we're really just calling on them to recognize, Devin. I mean, I, they're doing everything they can right now to sort of tide people and businesses over because, as you say, we're in a really unprecedented uh, economic emergency as a result of the, of the coronavirus crisis. So we're asking governments to simply make sure, first of all, they're not increasing any taxes at this time and that any other, uh, you know, anything that they're planning on increasing gets, uh, they hit pause, um, you know, they suspend it, they don't worry about collecting it right now. Um, you know, everything right now is about uh, doing things quickly. Speed is of the essence. And, uh, you know, freezing taxes, uh, leaving more money in people's pockets uh, should be a big part of that simply because it's a lot easier to do than, uh, than trying to deliver money, um, you know, through government programming. Do you think this is something governments will do? I mean, locally, we've had some uh, motions for deferrals on different uh, payments and, and payment uh, property tax and whatnot. Is this something provincially and federally we, you think some governments might actually do? Yeah, a lot of them are already doing it. I mean, the federal government has obviously deferred uh, the filing deadline for taxes. Payments aren't due for several more months. Uh, British Columbia has suspended their carbon tax increase. Uh, education property taxes have been suspended in Alberta. So most governments, and even the federal government in many cases, are, are following this advice already. Uh, just curiously, the carbon tax, uh, for example, is scheduled to go up tomorrow. And for some reason that I can't quite figure out, they, they want to proceed with that one. It, it doesn't make much sense to me. Uh, to proceed with that one particular tax uh, when they're freezing and deferring everything else. Uh, I recognize groups like ours, uh, we'd like to see that tax gone altogether, but that's a debate we can have six months from now. I think right now, just hitting pause uh, and saying, you know what, we're not going to increase this for the moment, I think is a, is a reasonable step to take. 
When we're looking at hitting pause on some of these uh, taxes, how long is that pause? Because, I mean, we can look at it in terms of when maybe social uh, distancing guidelines are relaxed a little bit and people can maybe get to work and start to uh, get the economy moving again. Is it when the vaccine uh, is around? Because that could be a longer period of time. What's sort of the pause period that we're looking at? Yeah, it seems uh, for most governments, it's been at least three to six months, because as you say, the key is having uh, the economy restart to, to at least the point where, you know, businesses can start generating revenue again, where people can start earning income again. We don't yet quite know when that's going to be. Of course, we all hope it's sooner rather than later. But, you know, in the meantime, um, you know, the government has announced $100 billion of dollars in new spending. And understandably, I understand why they're doing that. But the problem, Devin, is they're going to struggle to get all that money out the door. Um, EI is already swamped. More than a million people have applied. Time is of the essence. So, as I say, it's a lot easier to leave money in the pockets of people who might have some than it is to try and, and find ways to collect it and then turn around and give it back out. Premier uh, Doug Ford was asked a question about the uh, carbon tax yesterday in terms of uh, talking to the federal government about it. He actually um, skipped away from the question. Were you surprised uh, by that at all? Not really. I mean, we're in an environment now where all politicians are, are being less partisan. I think that's good. I think uh, we all need to work together. You know, a group like ourselves, even, we're very critical a lot of the time, but I, I think we're being a lot more measured now because we recognize this is not a normal time. Um, and that's why I say, uh, you know, we, we would like to see the carbon tax gone altogether, but we recognize now's not the time to have that fight. Uh, but we do think just hitting pause uh, and, you know, kicking the can down the road maybe six months, I think is, is a reasonable thing to do in this environment. So we're not increasing costs for people. I see you've also called for uh, parliamentarians to donate uh, their pay hike as well. Yes, uh, there's legislation that's been in place for some years where MPs get an automatic pay raise every April 1st. So obviously they didn't plan to have this happen right now. But I think with millions of people losing their jobs and, uh, and, and every dollar at a premium, I just think it's terrible optics for politicians to be taking a pay raise right now. A lot of MPs have already announced they're going to be donating the pay raise uh, to charity and to nonprofits, I think that's a great thing to do since uh, they don't have time to actually change the law because they're, of course, not sitting right now. So we, we'd encourage as many MPs as possible to donate their pay, that pay raise to a worthy cause. Uh, just, you know, we, we've kind of uh, you know, broached upon this as we've been discussing this here. Is this a crisis like anything we have faced before? In my opinion, we've never seen anything like this before. We are in completely uncharted territory. Uh, the circumstances are totally different. Uh, and I think that's the reason you're seeing government take extreme steps to do things that no one would even dream about uh, a month ago. So, you know, we're all hoping for the best. I recognize that governments are, are really under the gun here to try and shape policies, you know, in a day or two that would normally take months and months. So I think we're all cutting everyone a little bit of slack. But, you know, the important thing is there's a, there's a health battle to fight here, and uh, we can all do our part on that front, and, and governments will try and do the best they can to, to help us through on the economic front in the meantime. Aaron Woodruck, I certainly appreciate your time today. Thank you very much. Thanks a lot, Kevin. That is Aaron Woodruck, a federal director of the Canadian Taxpayers Federation. Uh, on that uh, general uh, topic, something we will be uh, following and we can uh, follow up on the program tomorrow is uh, there is a motion going before the a city committee uh, later today from uh, councillors Mo Salee and Phil Squire. They have drafted a motion recommending that City Hall defer payment of licensing fees related to food, personal services, and taxis 
for three months. Both essential and non-essential businesses would qualify for this deferral. So that is one step that the city is looking at taking beyond what they voted for last week in terms of uh, deferring some other uh, costs that could be on uh, the laps of uh, residents and taxpayers in London. So all levels of government doing what they can to uh, support local business, uh, to support residents. We will see what happens with this motion at uh, committee uh, today, but I would suspect either it or if there's alteration, something very close to this uh, does make it through because uh, we are living in these unprecedented times and uh, we do need as much relief as possible for people. There's a report out this morning that a third of small businesses in this country are not confident that they will reopen when this pandemic is over. And that would be a crushing blow uh, to this country. So whatever we can do to uh, support our local business and our communities is important. Uh, my thanks to Brian Elliott, to Lori Rismay, to Alan Smith, Jason Leader, Cynthia Carr, Dave O'Brien, Skylar Crook, and Aaron Wondruck uh, for coming on the show. My thanks to Nick Van Overloop and Steve Spruill for keeping us on the air. Stay tuned for The Craig Needle Show coming up next, followed by London Live with Mike Stubbs and The Afternoon Show with Jess Brady. Have a great day. Stay safe. Social distance. And we'll be back with you in 21 hours.